Hey, this is John at The Bible Project, and on the podcast, we've been going through a fairly long series on the complex identity of God in the biblical story. The depiction of God from the Hebrew scriptures is of God as a complex unity who is both above and totally other as creator and ruler, but also intimately involved in the grit and details of human history. If you've been following along with this series, you've been wrestling with us about the complicated and unexpected ways the biblical authors depict the creator God. In the last episode, we got to Jesus of Nazareth, and we asked the question, was this human in some way also the creator God? Because nowhere in the New Testament do you strictly see the phrase, Jesus is Yahweh. The gospel authors are using the narrative medium to make claims about Jesus. But it's not a normal way, I guess, that maybe modern or Western Christians have thought about this. We're looking for a nice sentence that just says the fact, you know, give me the facts. And that is what the gospel authors are doing through the medium of Jewish-style narrative. Today on the show, we're going to look at what Jesus thought about his own identity. We'll look at the claims that he makes about his relationship with the Father, claims that ended up getting him killed. And then he goes and says something like this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son reveals him. So what Jesus is saying here is, listen, Son of Man, I am the human one appointed to share in God's own rule over creation. But people don't recognize it. No one knows the Son. But the Father knows me. Baptism story. Jesus is saying, I know who I am. I'm the real deal. And the fact that all these people don't recognize it or reject that doesn't affect the reality of his claim. We'll look at how Jesus claimed that he is offering to others a unique relationship with the Creator God and how this unique relationship is symbolized by the significant tradition of baptism. Baptism is a way of you undergoing what Jesus underwent when he was publicly identified as a child of God, the child of God. All that and more today on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. So we're talking about the identity of God, Mm -hmm. or the phrase I've been toying around with is the experience of God. Ah, uh uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and how God's identity is revealed to us. And uh, we've gone through the Old Testament, and then we started into Jesus. Mm-hmm. And why don't you give us a quick recap of where we've been and why we're here? So, yeah, the depiction of God from the Hebrew Scriptures is of God as a complex unity who is both above and totally other as creator and ruler, but also... Fancy word is transcendent. Transcendence, uh, but also is intimately involved in yeah. the grit and details of human history and that when biblical characters experience. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a paradox that, because transcendent means Mm -hmm. I can't experience God. Or or I I can't. I can't know God. I can't know God in like the fullness, the fullness. We have to use metaphors. Yeah, that's right. The 4D object. I can't know this being in his complete fullness, but I can know this God as as he he reveals reveals himself. himself. And this God consistently reveals himself in historical, cultural moments mm-hmm. where he takes on a certain a 
appearance. Or when when God appears, yeah, when God appears, it's and is made known. It's something that these people, these biblical figures, can wrap their minds around. Yeah, it's a human person, right? The, the messenger of Yahweh, or yeah, or typically even the visions that the prophets have of Yahweh on His throne, mm-hmm. uh, or Ezekiel sees the Godmobile, yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> divine throne chariot. Even that fits into categories of other ancient. Israel's neighbors in the ancient mm. Near East. Mm-hmm. So it's a cultural form that they had a reference for. And it's not always a person. We talked about being the glory of God yeah. is sometimes, well, what well, is so, sometimes a person. Sometimes it's just a big cloud, lightning sometimes, cloud. Yeah. <laughs> and other times uh, when the figure wades into the foggy cloud, like Ezekiel, he finds had, what he there. sees is the divine glory chariot with a human figure on the throne. Yeah. But then other times it's more abstract, like God's wisdom yeah. gets personified. Um, as a woman. Uh, yes, that's right, as a woman in Proverbs. Yeah. God's spirit, his personal life-giving presence. So the New Testament authors tell narratives that make a claim that that same God has revealed himself in a new way to fulfill where the whole story's been going. And so it does so both continuing using those earlier categories of uh-huh. the complex unity of God. Mm-hmm. So it's going to draw not all that language, but it's also going to blow the ceiling off of it <laughs> at the same time. And just Jesus, yeah, he uses pre-existing categories to explain himself while at the same time exploding those into a whole new yeah. level of meaning. Hmm. So we've talked about that already mm-hmm. as we've been going through the Gospels, Yeah, that all of the Gospels begin in some way quoting or alluding to Old Testament texts that are about Yahweh, and then they use those to introduce Jesus. Mm. (laughs) We looked at the baptism of Jesus that's in all four of the gospel accounts, and this is a moment where God's complex unity is just on full display, Mm. where Jesus comes onto the public scene, and he's marked by the heavenly king, the throne, the one who's enthroned above the heavens, speaks and sends the spirit to communicate the love between the heavenly king and the earthly king, (laughs) Jesus. And that's Yahweh on page one of the Gospel of Mark. (laughs) Yahweh's coming. He quotes Isaiah 40. Yahweh's coming. Yahweh is all three of these Mm -hmm. personalities interacting. That's the narrative logic of Mark's claim here. He quotes an Old Testament He doesn't come out and say that. Well, like, he does. He but does in it a narrative through the, way. through the medium of the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Jesus, from that story onward, walks around doing what I call Yahweh stuff. Right. Stuff that's Yahweh's prerogative mm-hmm. in the Hebrew scriptures, and then just Jesus does it. And the foremost example is um, pronouncing that people's sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Not that he forgives them, but he uses the passive, just. You are forgiven. Yeah. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And who can do that? <laughs> so we but talked about that. Yahweh yeah. himself. So then that raises the question for the Bible nerds sitting around is, who is this guy? And they just put it together. Who can forgive sins except the one God? Yeah. So, so Jesus seems to have behaved in ways that intentionally raise the issue of his identity and authority. So I just want to highlight a couple other times in the Gospels where this keeps ramping up. Okay. Um, because, again, it's helpful. It's the, the gospel authors are using the narrative medium to make claims about Jesus. 
which is just that's not a normal way, I guess, mm-hmm. that maybe modern or Western Christians have thought about this. We're looking for a nice sentence that just says the fact, you know, give me the facts. Give me the facts. And that is what the gospel authors are doing through the medium of Jewish style <laughs> narrative. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. I want a textbook. Yeah. Yeah. Or just we want them to do it in the way our culture has trained us to think. Yeah. How arrogant of us. (laughs) How presumptuous. Yeah. I've told you the analogy that I use about traveling, international travel. Hmm. No. Oh, about how in the West, we know that it's rude to go travel to another country and get off the plane not having done any preparation whatsoever to learn about the place where you're going. Mm -hmm. And then to get off the plane and just start talking to everybody in English that you meet, (laughs) you know, asking them where the McDonald's is. (laughs) Like we, right? We like, or if you've ever traveled internationally and you could watch those people, those Americans. Yeah, you're a little embarrassed. Ooh, yeah, bad form. (laughs) Um, So we have a sensibility that that's rude. Mm. And so why? Why do we think that's rude? It's pretty intuitive, I think, for most people. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not, you're not mm. honoring people's other uh, difference. Mm-hmm. And you're not recognizing the fact that you're in their land. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I need, I'm the one who needs to adapt. Mm. Need to get a phrase book, <laughs> like do a quick Wikipedia history review of whatever, Berlin mm-hmm. or something, or Paris. Right. You know, it's just like being a good person. Yeah. Um, Learn the customs. Yeah, that kind of thing. And so that's exactly the mentality most people don't have when they open the pages of the Bible. Right. Is I need to honor these authors. Yeah. And not assume that they're going to talk the way I talk. Mm. And not assume that it's just stupid or boring or, right? When they don't communicate the way I would prefer them to. Right. And so just apply the same logic. It's about traveling, like traveling to another. Place. Reading the Bible is like traveling mm-hmm. to a foreign land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be courteous. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something really – I I love traveling to other cultures because it turns you into a uh, – I mean, tourist is a bad word in most people's minds, I suppose. But, oh, yeah. but the tourist mentality of oh. I'm setting aside assumptions mm. and I'm expecting to see things differently mm. – and yeah, to learn right. different things. Yeah. Like that kind of mentality. Yeah. You kind of have to have when you travel. Yeah. Especially somewhere in another culture. Yeah. And um Yeah, you have to I, like I have that. to expect to feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Or maybe that you're going to make mistakes. Right. You know? Yeah. Or do say your things the wrong way or something. Well, and then some people travel trying to not do that. They'll That's true. they'll go to a place <laughs> where everyone's going to speak English. Yeah. The food's going to be what you expect. And it's just yeah. sunnier than the place you came from or something. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter where it is. Yeah. But the magic of traveling mm. to other cultures is just letting mm-hmm. yourself be a foreigner. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a mentality of open-mindedness to mm. another culture, language, way of seeing the world. That I think most people would say they, they would want to be that kind of person mm. if they traveled. Yeah. Take that mentality. Yeah, a big part of like our value of the Bible project is reading the Bible in its historical, cultural context. Yeah. And that's it. It's being a courteous traveler. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's not actually not that hard 
to do, but you have to be intentional about it when you travel to Paris or when you open the pages of the Bible. Yeah. So Jesus is intentionally ramping up the controversy about his identity. Yeah. There's a line in Matthew chapter 11. It's the conclusion of Matthew 11, which is a whole series of narratives where people, Jesus has done his thing. He's given the Sermon on the Mount. He's performed 10 incredible wonders to Mm -hmm. heal people and do other things. And then Matthew 11, Matthew's compiled all of these different types of responses that people have to Jesus. So one's John the Baptist. Yeah. In jail. Mm-hmm. Like, are you really the one? You tell her, are you sure? Remember, I baptized you. Yeah. But now what? I'm in jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's kind of like nervous. Uh huh. Not sure. Yeah. You get narratives of straight up hostility and resistance mm-hmm. in chapter 11 and in chapter 12 from the religious leaders. You get a story about family. His mother and brothers send for him. Mm. And they want him to kind of rein it in. <laughs> uh, so then he says some things, you know, about his family that are kind of intense. Yeah. And, uh, and then some are fans. Yeah. They're like, oh, Jesus, we love you. It's great. So everyone's trying to figure out who, like, That's right. the identity of this guy, Jesus. That's right. And then he has this saying at the end where he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. Now that already ought to ring some Daniel 7 bells. Hmm. Why is that? Well, so remember Daniel 7 is a crucial for Jesus' language yes, that he used to talk the about son his of man. identity. Yeah, yeah. It's a human figure mm-hmm. who's exalted, vindicated from persecution, exalted yeah. up to God's presence, and then given God's own rule and authority mm. over, so, the, over oh, the world. So the, all things have been handed over. <laughs> yes. That part. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's drawing on an idea uh, here yeah. of the unique human one. That God would God share his, his authority to. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, it's another way of him saying, I'm the son of man. Yeah. From Daniel 7. Right. But he doesn't use ancient of days son of man language. Yeah. Daniel 7, he uses father. Father, son language. All Wh- things that, have Which been... is, yeah. And that's, I think, where I didn't see the Daniel 7 thing because Daniel 7 doesn't father. say father. That's right. Yeah, Jesus is overlaying the ideas at work in Daniel 7. But he's introducing this father language. Yeah, which we we kind of already had in the baptism. Actually, we did have it in the baptism. It's the heavenly king. Mm, Saying, you are my son. Saying to Jesus, you are my son. I love Hmm. you. If Jesus is being called son, who's the heavenly voice? Mm -hmm. It doesn't say it in the baptism narrative, but it doesn't need to. Hmm. Here, Jesus just says it straight up. And he's already said it in the Sermon on the Mount, teaching people to call God our Father, that kind of thing. I got really confused about this whole Father thing, Mm. and I'm just thinking through Mm -hmm. how I would explain it to someone. Okay, good. And what I'm I'm realizing is, well, you get to Jesus in the baptism, which we talked about Mm -hmm. in that last episode, and there's the three in one, but there's a lot of mystery around, well, what's the voice from heaven? Yes. And... We have this idea of Ancient of Days. Mm-hmm. We have a handful. It's like under, and 10 or under passages in the Hebrew scriptures 
where a prophet or a poet will call God Yahweh, Israel's father, the mm. father of Israel. Okay. So it's in there. Yeah. It's in their tradition. It's in their tradition. It's not a, a but main the, Yeah, but the like appearances of God that were more developed yeah. were the yeah. ones of appearing like a man mm-hmm. or um, the or glory, these more abstract ones right. of his attributes yeah. being personified. Yeah. This idea of someone sitting on the throne who is the father mm-hmm. isn't as completely developed. Correct. There's there's some shelves, but it's not That's right. super tight. That's right. Correct. So I think when you get to the baptism, we could say, well, there's mm-hmm. three. We're still trying to figure out the identity of Jesus, but that isn't completely clear. Mm-hmm. We see that he's doing Yahweh's stuff. Mm-hmm. We see some of the language he's using. So we know that what Mark is saying is mm-hmm. this is part of this is Yahweh mm-hmm. appearing. Y- yeah. There's Jesus in the spirit right. and, and this figure and in heaven. heaven. That's right. But, but I think just... <clears throat> While explaining it to someone, it would be mm. kind of holding it loose and kind of saying like, mm. yeah, it isn't very clear yet. It's letting the narrative develop. Let the narrative develop it. That's right. And so I put us on a, a tangent about trying to figure out what God was the father. Mm-hmm. And I think this is actually totally helps that we're going to jump into about mm-hmm. Jesus using that language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let the narrative develop it. Yeah, so the baptism puts it on your radar of the heavenly figure calling uh, calling Jesus my son that I've loved yeah by means of the spirit yeah and then you Jesus walks around doing Yahweh stuff mm-hmm. causes the controversies and then he goes and says something like this okay all things have been handed over to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the Son reveals him. Hmm. So it's as if Jesus is providing this backwards reflection. There's all these people now who have different responses to him. Uh huh. Everyone's wondering who he is. Yes. So what Jesus is saying here is, listen, he, son of man, I am the human yeah. one appointed to share in God's own rule over creation. Yeah. But people don't recognize it. No yeah. one knows the son. But the father knows me. Yeah. The baptism story. Yeah. Right? The father, I'm, so it's as if, it's like Jesus is saying, I know who I am. Uh-huh. I'm the real deal. <laughs> and the fact that all of these people don't recognize it or reject that doesn't affect the reality of his claim. Yeah. So no one knows who I am except the father. And no one knows the father. No one, this is Remarkable. What he's saying is nobody knows Yahweh. Yeah. Except how I'm revealing who Yahweh is right now in his claims and in his mission. Now, no one knows the Father. Excuse me. No one knows the Father. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Right. He's saying you can read the Hebrew scriptures. You get this portrait. But there's something happening here that is blowing the ceiling. Yeah. I think what's interesting is like when I think of the – when I, I think at the categories I had of the Trinity, mm-hmm. the Godhead is that God the Father is Yahweh. Mm. And so oh. when I look back and I read about God yes. in the Old Testament, that's that's just God the Father, God the Father. Father, oh, I see. But what this is saying is like, no, no one knows God the Father. Yeah. Like what <laughs> you've been experiencing yeah. and you've like what humans have been interacting with and experiencing of God isn't God the Father. Well, it seems like he's saying... No one knows the Father, 
if no one knows the father, could, like, didn't Moses know the father? Mm. Didn't, like, mm-hmm. David know the father? They knew the God of Israel as God had revealed himself yeah. to, to them. And, they didn't, and he didn't reveal himself as the father. Correct. That's what I'm realizing. Correct. That this relationship, yeah. this experience that Jesus had with God yeah. and who God was, mm-hmm. Yahweh, mm-hmm. as the father and who is he unique re- to Jesus. Correct. That's right. No one else has had that. Correct. And no one else can have it unless Jesus reveals it to them. Correct. That's the claim that he's making. That's the claim that he's making. Yes. So Um, just to be clear, is he saying, like, no one? Like, this is a completely new realization of God's identity that no one's experienced before. That's the claim that he's making. Yeah. That his relationship to the Father and the Father's relationship to him and what that means about God's identity this God's identity and being and mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. is uniquely revealed in the person in the story of himself. And you have shelf space for it. When you, you say sh- when you say uniquely revealed, mm-hmm. yes, revealed to us in this narrative. Revealed, yeah, and the narrative is depicting things that Jesus said and did. Mm-hmm. It's, right? It's a representation from the apostles of how Jesus... Talked and walked and well, acted. so Jesus uses the language "made known" or Correct. anyone know. Yeah, yeah. So are you so using, using "revealed" as yeah. synonymous with "no"? Yes. Okay. Yeah, but it's only revealed if the Son reveals Him. Yes, that's right. Okay. So, I and my Father have had this thing going for a long, for eternity past, as we're gonna see, like as we go on. Yeah. Um, okay, well, he hasn't said that. But, no, he well, hasn't. Okay. No, he hasn't. The implications of it will... Yeah, bear fruit later. Okay. Bear fruit later. So, me and my father... Who's God? Me and my father. We've <laughs> got this thing going on. Yeah. And the, the, the way that my father and I have this thing going on, we know about it, <laughs> and now we're sharing it with others. Got it. But the only way you're going to learn about it is through me. Yeah. And what I'm doing and saying right now. That's why I'm using the phrase uniquely revealed. This is part of the apostles' claim. Yes, Jesus, as a human, right? He was born and pooped his diapers. <laughs> and he, his brain developed. Yeah. There was a point. Right. At which he became aware. Yeah. Of his identity. Identity, yeah. Right. And so the it's only crazy to think about. window within the apostolic testimony in the New Testament is that little narrative in Luke mm-hmm. where Jesus is 12. Yeah, and he stays with the... Yeah, freaks his parents out because yeah. he wants to be in the house of his father. So even at 12, he's got an awareness hmm. of some draw to the temple. Yeah. And that this is a place where I belong. Yeah. So fascinating. It's, fa- it's super fascinating. <laughs> so there's pre-adolescent Jesus. Identity has yeah. formed in some he's way. He's woken up yeah. to his identity. And so that, and then you get these statements. So at some point he became aware, and then the baptism. So he becomes aware of his identity. He fosters that. He mm. cultivates it. Mm-hmm. Certainly through reading prayerfully the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. discerning his vocation, his identity. And then once it's worked out in his mind and heart, he says stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees it as his mission and calling to announce that the kingdom of God is here mm-hmm. and what God's rule over the world is being revealed. Yes. Yeah. My father and I's rule. Yeah. All things have been given to me. So, yeah, I'm with you. The categories are there yeah. from the, where the story's gone, but he's 
Yeah. It's the new level of claim being made about the identity of God. The claim is when people looked at Jesus, they are seeing a unique revealing of God's heartbeat and character and purpose. This time period, Second Temple Judaism anticipated Yahweh coming, like in in the Isaiah passage of, yeah. that Mark quotes. Do they think of it as him coming as a man, or do they think of it um, as like coming more like as he came in Exodus with the tabernacle the cloud and the or, cloud and the yeah? We only have access to know what people thought through the literature. Mm -hmm. that survived from this time period. And there's a lot of it, Jewish Second Temple literature. Mm -hmm. And what you see is just a huge diversity. And of course, it was a really diverse culture and religious tradition. So there's all kinds of Like Jesus' claim have been on the spectrum of possibilities when when people were talking about Yahweh coming, or was it completely categorized? Yeah, I mean, all these texts that generated hope and expectation... So there's the the coming king from the line of David. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and he'll come, rock him, sock him, yeah. that kind of stuff. But there was no sense that that was be Yahweh himself. In some texts, in most texts, yeah, the, the David figure is, is going to be like a David figure, yeah. a human king. Um, the Son of Man passage in Daniel 7 generated a lot of speculation. And so there are texts where... There's a handful of them. One of them is in the popular book called Enoch, in the Enoch tradition, Mm. first Enoch and second Enoch. And there, the son of man figure is a human figure. It's it's actually one of the closest expressions to the things that are said about Jesus in another Jewish work. Which is no wonder he used that phrase so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. But we don't know, but where the books of Enoch come from, and how widespread or influential those were, it's really hard to know. The, mm. the, the um, Jewish scholars down in the Dead Sea Scroll community. Had them. They had a co- copies of Enoch. Mm. So anyway, so we're back to here. The God revealed in the Gospels is a complex unity yeah. that consists of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Yeah. Here, and the Father and the Son. And you won't know it by just reading the Hebrew Bible, he's saying. Yeah. You won't know it by staring up into the sky. You know it by looking at the story of Jesus' life mm-hmm. and death and resurrection. That's his claim here. And let me ask a clarifying question about this idea of knowing God here. Mm. Um, is, is it more um, know about, like know the identity, like have the information of who God is, or is it more oh. about having a relationship or an experience or interaction with kind of knowing. Yeah, it's more that. Okay. The second. Yeah. So a relational Mm -hmm. knowing. Yeah. So from this point forward, Jesus is claiming to really have a relationship with the God of Israel means to have that relationship through Jesus. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Involves reconfiguring a whole bunch of mental furniture. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This seems like a significant, yeah, a shift 
where if you're a uh, Second Temple Jew and you're thinking about your relationship with Yahweh, mm-hmm. you have texts where Yahweh is your father, but... Um, the father of your people. Father of your people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talked about as a father. Mm-hmm. But Jesus would be coming saying, there is an aspect of God's, of mm. Yahweh's mm. identity mm. that you have not had access to experiencing mm. and knowing mm-hmm. relationally, mm-hmm. but I do. Mm-hmm. And I want to give that yes. to you. Yeah. I want you to know God in that way. Yeah. Yep. Um, which would be a brand way that, new, this right. is a brand new development. Uh, it's a new development. I mean, it's not brand new. Because again, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's a new development. God has had a covenant people that He called His Son. Yeah. That he, so right. So it's not brand new, but it's a new step. It should feel very. Um, it's a new step that in a, a progress. Yeah, of, that feels like a radical claim. Yeah. About if Jesus is the one who's saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To know the God of Israel means to know the God of Israel the way that I do. Yeah. Which means you know me and the God of Israel as yeah. a complex unity. Because <laughs> I, I think about Jesus and the radical claim being that Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. Jesus is Yahweh. That's the one that's like the radical claim. And it is. Yes. But yeah. ju- it seems like just as much is the radical claim yeah. of the identity of God as Father. Yes. Which I've never really thought about those mm. being both mm. radical. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. You're okay. Yeah. Spirit. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the least radical one is the spirit, <laughs> like as far as the <laughs> sure. yeah. categories. There's precedent for that. There's a lot more precedent, both the identity of Jesus as mm-hmm. the human exalted one. Mm-hmm. There's some precedent, Daniel mm-hmm. 7 being the yep. biggest one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So let's take it the next step. Next step. Here's another fascinating story. It's a famous story that I have found when I point this out to students or people, it's one of those like, oh, I would never saw that was sitting right there. <laughs> so this is Jesus' trial okay. before the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. And through the whole thing, they're accusing him, and he's silent. Mm. And they're like, he said he was going to destroy the temple. They try and charge yeah. him as a terrorist, and that doesn't work. Because hmm. <laughs> Anyway, so he kept silent. This is Matthew chapter 26. Uh, In verse 63. So then the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. Put your hand on the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. By the living God. Yeah. Swear by Yahweh himself. Yes. That you tell us whether you are the Messiah, Mm -hmm. the son of God. Right. Are you the political leader that's going to help us become a successful nation? That's right. Psalm 2. This is language from Psalm 2. Yeah. The anointed king from the line of David. Who, because you represent the people as king, if all the people of Israel are the son of God, then the king yeah. is the, is the true it, son of God. It's, it's probably important to notice here then, he's not asking, are you Yahweh? That's right. Yeah. I always read it that way, though. Ah, because that's right. son of God to me okay. became synonymous with just yeah, yeah. Incarn- being God. Incarnation. Incarnate God. That's right. Yeah. But he's just saying, are you this political leader that we've... Correct. That, Correct. Jewish people are hoping for. Yeah. So, yeah, to clarify, yeah, what's, what we're to imagine is in his intention, saying son of God, is different than how Mark began his gospel, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Oh. It's the same exact phrase, 
But when an apostle says it, yeah, <laughs> he has in mind this whole story. That's yeah, redefined. and he's infused that, that term with more meaning. With more meaning. So the point is, is um, in the Hebrew scriptures, in Jewish culture, the phrase "Son of God" is a royal title mm-hmm. from Psalm two, linked in Psalm two to the phrase "Anointed King," Christ, mm-hmm. yeah, or Messiah. Yeah, but then once Jesus does his whole thing, yeah and calls himself the son, then that phrase, son of God, takes on its more trinity type of meaning. Yeah. And that's how the apostles are using it. And that's how then Paul goes on to use it in his writings and so on. So there's an irony here. Do you find that people trip up on this language of son of God, son of man? Well, yeah, it's another, that's why I want to do a separate video just on the, the phrase son of God. Yeah, I, and I, I and think, I think another video will be good on both those phrases. Son of God and Son of Man. But for yeah. this video, mm. uh, it, do we try to... I know. Do we try to do... Do we well, we're incorporate gonna have to do, it? We have to do something with Father and Son. Yeah. And so whether it's just a quick like clarification on Son of God was a title given to the, the family of kings from David's line. Yeah. And... It's a royal title. Because the quick explainer is son of God is a royal title for humans mm-hmm. in the line of David. Yes. So it doesn't have anything to do with whether you are div- mm. like actual divinity. As such. That's As right. As such. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then son of man is this unique phrase in Daniel 7 mm-hmm. where it is infused with some something more. Something more, a human that crosses the line. Crosses the line. To come share in God's rule over yeah. the universe. So if someone like, yeah, who's this in the story again? Is it it's Herod? No, Caiaphas, it's... the high priest. Okay. Mm-hmm. If he says, are you the son of God? He's thinking of it in terms of the, the human leader. Correct. Are you claiming that you're the true leader and representative of Israel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but as Jesus' identity is formed, the way he mm-hmm. thinks of it and the way the apostles begin to understand it mm-hmm. is that being the son of man is part of what a person of Yahweh is. Yeah. What's, a, uh, yeah. what's the language I, you Ironically, use? Uh, yeah, in the Gospels, to, for Jesus to say he's the son of man is actually a more scandalous claim. Yes, than saying a son of God. <laughs> it actually implies, in their context, yeah. way more clearly... Crossing the line. ...that he's crossing the line yeah. to share in God's own identity. He doesn't think he's just some empowered ruler yeah. in the line of David. Yeah. So ironically, son of God means... Less. Im- implies deity less than the phrase son of man. But then... <laughs> You circle uh, back. Origin, right, right, right. But yeah, then... In, yeah. That's right. If you circle back with then this whole story in mind, and yep. now you use the word son of God, Correct. you've infused it with that's that right. same After divinity. After the Jesus story has <laughs> gone down, I then like, son of God finds new meaning within yeah. the, the Christian movement. And how yeah. is that connected to when <clears throat> Jesus just says, I'm the son, without son of? It's just mm. like in, in this last one we looked at where he just said... Yeah. Well, there it's it's the... We're hearing the word son in this new key, in this new mode of Jesus. Blending it all. Oh, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the father and the son who love each other by the spirit. When Jesus uses the phrase son to describe himself, that's what he's talking about. Here, the phrase son of God is in the mouth of the high priest who's asking him, you say you're from the line of David. Yeah. So, is that what you're saying? Say it. Yeah. 
And what it would, how Jesus responds is, you said it. <laughs> so we're back to the story. Yeah. Tell us whether you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus answered him, you said it. <laughs> he said it in the form of a question. <laughs> <laughs> um, nevertheless, I tell you, and this is the key, from now on, from this moment on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes mm. and he said, this man has blasphemed. Mm. What further need do we have of witnesses? Mm. Everybody here, you heard his blasphemy. Yeah. And that's the case closed. Yeah, he might as well have just said like, I am so important. <laughs> I'm more important than you realize. Yeah. And I have all the authority of Yahweh himself mm -hmm. from this point on. Yes. So he's doing two things. He's doing scripture kung fu again. <laughs> he's taken a phrase from Daniel 7, uh -huh. the son of man. Yep. And he's taken a phrase from Psalm 110, mm. which we talked about. This was it's the most quoted text from the Old Testament used by the apostles in the New Testament and mm. Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. And why do the apostles focus on this? Because it's Jesus himself. Is this, sorry, is the Psalm 110 the one where David says, it's where, my it's Lord where David said says, to you? Yes. Yeah. He, David tells you a story. Yeah. Yahweh said to my master, yeah. Got sit it. Right. at my right hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Jesus is identifying himself as a son of David mm -hmm. But more than the son of David, mm -hmm. he's the human one who was exalted. The right hand of power. Who was exalted, yeah, to share in God's own rule. Now, this, this is the thing that you just point, it's right there. When is Jesus appointed to sit and share in God's rule over the universe? By his words here. <laughs> At this moment. From this moment on. Yeah. So from this moment on. From the trial on. You will see share in God's rule over the universe, and, notice the last phrase, and here's the thing that you're going to see from this moment on. You're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven. Which is a Daniel 7 reference. This is right from Daniel 7. The so cloud rider. The cloud rider. So this is important because the cloud rider image is going to get connected later on in the New Testament to Jesus' return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most often, um, it's depicted in popular... Western Christianity, yeah, as like this is Jesus's coming life. from heaven on the clouds back the cloud down to earth. That's right, that he's yeah. coming down here. Yeah, which means that we've reinvented. We're the ones reinventing that image. Yeah, because in the image, he's riding clouds up. Correct. The riding of the clouds is about Jesus being brought in, ascending to power. ascending to power, and to, to participate in God's rule over to embody and be a part of God's rule over the universe. Mm. So what he's saying is the moment you condemn me in this court to death mm. is actually the moment that I'm becoming the king of the universe. Mm. From this moment, mm. I'm ascending the clouds. And then just think of how that the statement of Jesus is then meant to train you to see every event that follows in the trial before Pilate, in the beating and the whipping, in the mockery, he gets a robe, mm -hmm. he gets a scepter, mm -hmm. he gets a crown, mm -hmm. he gets lifted up and exalted mm -hmm. on the cross. Yeah. And this 
It's Phrase. all some backwards totally. coronation. It's that, it's that upside down thing. Yeah. But it's just this phrase is Jesus saying, everything that's about to happen <laughs> is my enthronement hmm. to divine rule over the universe. And Daniel 7, the son of man had just gotten trampled by the beast. Mm. Right? Remember yeah, the super right. beast that embodies Babylon and every other kingdom. Yeah. So he's saying, well, you're letting about... a, I'm letting a kingdom trample me. Yes. In Daniel 7, what happens next? Yes. He rides the cloud up to yeah. sit at God's right hand and share in his divine authority. Yeah. And so that's what's going to happen next. You got it. Yeah. I forget, this was somewhere in the 70s or 60s in Rome, I think it is, uh, a piece of graffiti on mm-hmm. like an old third century from the 200 to 300s building found. Mm. It's called the Alexamenos graffiti. Mm. It's a picture of a guy named Alexamenos, and he's standing before a human figure being crucified, but the human figure has a donkey head. Mm. And it says in Latin, Alexamenos worships his god. Hmm. Some Roman Christian named named Alexamenos, and he became a a worshiper and a follower of Jesus. Mm. His friends not only think that he's stupid, (laughs) they think that it's ridiculous and shameful Mm. that he would give his allegiance to a crucified Jewish Jewish man. Just think, this is a perception that Romans would have. So this is them mocking him. That's right. So this is a time period before the cross becomes something you can wear as a necklace. (laughs) Right, right, right. right? The cross is still shameful. Yeah. It's like an electric chair. Yeah. Or whatever, the needle, whatever they inject. This is such a good image. Yeah. So what Jesus is doing is taking one of the most shameful, like base, horrifying things Mm. about their culture and their time. And he's calling that his divine throne. (laughs) Yeah. It's so astounding. Yeah. So, of course, he doesn't convince anybody in the room. Right. What he does is make them angry. Yeah. And and tear their clothes. (laughs) And tear their clothes and kill him. But that's the... I've never been so angry I've torn my clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? I can't. Anyhow. It's interesting. Just the thought is that... um, you said that the cross is like the electric chair or the needle or something. Mm. It seems like nowadays mm. with the way we execute people, we still try to keep some dignity. Uh, uh, you okay. know? Yeah, that's a good point. Where the cross was like the opposite. It was like, let's strip you of your dignity while we kill you. Correct. We don't really have that parallel no, anymore. I suppose, except for maybe like a yeah. beheading or like a yeah. a torture. Yeah, you know when those um, 21... Egyptian Christians were marched mm. out to the coast of, I forget, Libya or something. Mm-hmm. And um, it was recorded, the whole thing. They mm-hmm. got their heads yeah. sawn off mm-hmm. with machetes. Yeah. So it's it's like, more that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Horrifying. Eey. And yet, how would the apostles want us to view that video footage? You know, we don't know this 21 right. people's stories, but what they 
would have us trust and believe is they were ruling the world. Those martyrs, John the visionary in the Revelation, oh, would say yeah. by losing their heads oh. for the sake of their allegiance to Jesus, in reality, they're the ones in charge of that situation. How counterintuitive. Yeah. The last text to point out here in this connection is the last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew. It's known yeah. as the Great Commission yeah. passage. So then it's literally the last sentence is of the Gospel of Matthew. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus said, we're going to rendezvous there. <laughs> and they see him and they worship him. Mm. But there were some who doubted. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. So some people are like, Father, the Son, yeah. <laughs> you were Yahweh, and they're worshiping him, this right new revelation of God through Jesus. And then some are like, I still don't understand what's happening right now. <laughs> then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, yeah. Daniel 7. Mm -hmm. So go, now, it tell the nations that there's a new king in town, and invite them to become my devotees, mm -hmm. my followers. Mm -hmm. So go invite everybody to live under my reign and rule, baptizing them, taking them through the key initiation ritual into sonship. Think Jesus, what was the key moment? Oh yeah, he became a son. In, or he was... He was marked out publicly yeah, as God's son. own son yeah. before others. And so now you so have... That's the that's why he's maintaining the ritual for that sonship piece? Uh, there's at least one layer of its meaning. Okay. It's baptism is a way of you undergoing what Jesus underwent mm. when he was publicly identified as a child of God, mm. the child of God. So baptize them, but do it in the name, singular, the name of the Father and of the Son <laughs> and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So just terrible grammar. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a perfect expression yeah. of this brand new category that the story is trying to form yeah. in us of the complex unity the, in the name of the God who is Father, the, Father, the Son, Son, and, and Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is what the baptism back at the beginning was yeah. trying to say in, yeah. nar in narrative form. Jesus sums it up right here. Mm. And then I'm with you to the very end of the age. We just toured 
right? The gospel is from end to end. Mm. And this motif of Daniel 7 and of Jesus as the son in relationship to the father loved by the spirit, it's just right through the whole narrative. Mm. And It's interesting how this, a lot of it hinges on the baptism. Yeah, at the beginning and end. Yeah. That, that's right. Yep. Like, is that, it seems significant. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to how I'm trying to anchor this on this idea of mm. the experience of God or relation oh, with God. Yeah. It's like, it seems like the baptism is the ritual that marks that you have an experience. You, like, mm-hmm. you're, you're living a new reality mm-hmm. of a new experience yeah. with God. That's right. It was a ritual that marked Jesus's experience with God. Mm-hmm. It's a ritual that marks Christians' new experience with God. Mm-hmm. And that experience of God is the three in mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baptism, it's a big deal. And it's obviously been, real, unfortunately, controversial and divisive. I think because the apostles apparently weren't interested in explaining it to the degree that it would solve debates when you put later questions to what this means. Right. You know? That's why there's so much debate about it. The debate being... Oh, uh, yeah. Just like, is it actually... Do you have to do it to be a true follower of Jesus? Do you have yeah. to do it to be saved? Whatever that's right. supposed to mean. And so there's Protestant, Catholic. There's many divides yeah. over the meaning of baptism. But what you can easily say that everybody agrees on is that it's really important. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because Paul, the apostle, and Peter, both in their letters in the New Testament, they'll look back to this physical symbol, this physical reality that you underwent, and see in it both a symbol but also a reality expressed, Mm -hmm. that your life, your being is being joined to Jesus' story, that you're undergoing what he underwent so that you can become what he is. And then why the language of the Spirit is also the word baptism is used. Hmm. That's as you go on as a follower of Jesus, your continued experience of renewed and greater degrees of devotion to Jesus is talked about as a further immersion in the spirit. Hmm. Uh, it gets into controversial territory, but the core meaning is powerful. Yeah. But you're right, baptism echoes at the beginning and end of, of the Gospels, of Matthew in that way. Right. So there you go. The Gospels make a clear, I think, when you have eyes to see it, a clear narrative claim about the identity of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. You wouldn't have known it without the Jesus story, hmm. right? If no you wouldn't one knows, have known that identity. You yeah, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have had language for that or known yeah. to make that yeah. claim about God. So it's yeah. revealed through Jesus. But at the same time, it's in continuity with everything that's come before. It's also really interesting that you wouldn't have known it without Jesus's claim, but also it's hard to see it unless mm. you have read the Old Testament scriptures and wrestled with them yeah, that's right. to the level that we've kind of been doing. Yes. Like I've read those passages yeah, for or all. heard them read my entire life Yeah, and never saw the connection mm. so clearly mm. to mm. God's identity in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just kind of a nature of not spending as much time in the in the Hebrew scriptures mm-hmm. in the tradition I grew up in. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's really illuminating. Yeah, it's cool. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. Next week, we're going to do a question and response episode. So if you have a question as you've been following along in this God series, we'd love to hear it. Record yourself. Try to keep it to around 20 seconds. Let us know your name and where you're from, and we'll get to as many questions as we can. Also, if you haven't seen our video on God, we released it two weeks ago. It's up on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash the Bible Project, and it's on our website at thebibleproject.com. This episode of the podcast was produced by Dan Gummel, music by Tay the Producer, and the theme music is by the band Tense. We're a crowdfunded nonprofit. We're in Portland, Oregon, and all of the things that we make, this podcast, the videos, study notes, are free because of the generosity of thousands of people like you crowdfunding this effort. Thanks for being a part of this with us. Hi, I'm, I'm Grace Bay from Alameda, California. Um, the first time I watched one of um, the Bible Project videos was when our church was going through the epistles together. And it was so cool to see um, how these epistles have a whole history, like to understand what audience they were um, told to. Because I often thought, you know, the Bible was just this like overarching vague thing with difficult words and ideas in it, but it was um, really cool to, to see that the audience that the, the epistles were written to are people just like me who are going through struggles that I could very much relate to. We believe the Bible is a united... Yo, whoa, whoa, okay. Let me start over again, sorry. Um, <laughs> we believe the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We are a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, and more at thebibleproject.com.